Hello, folks. This is Kevin. On this episode, you'll hear the wonderful, fun, all the year round Jeff Barr and the sort of Shakespearean mess and a terrific guy, John LaSala. Also, a favorite of ours, the lovely and talented goddamn Taj Easton. And another of our editors, a very beloved member of our team. Fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. Hope Brush. So without further ado. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, So nice of you to give us that sincere sounding in very real time introduction. Thank you, Kevin and Allison. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear David Crab. And right as he comes up to me, it hits like all the angels in my blood. And he said, What is it, Mr. Crab? And I just say, I'm fading away. That and more. But first, the next New York show is coming up on April 27th. The one after that is on June 22nd. And it's not too late to pitch us for that show, but you got to get us your pitches by April 27th. The optional themes for that show include blood. Ooh, ooh, like that horrible, gory, upsetting story I told about killing a deer. Or breaking the rules. You mean like the time that Kevin mailed a used condom to his buddy at school? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, Or good news. That would be like the Maureen O'Malley Kirshner story where she didn't know she was pregnant until she was having a baby. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But don't limit yourself to those themes. If you have a bold, heartfelt, or in any way amazing story, we want to hear about it. You could be a star. So go to risk-show.com slash submissions for all the details. And send us them pitches. Send the pitches. Bitches. Do it! We'll be right back. Now Now here's the show. Hello, you sweet, wonderful fuckers. This is Risk, the people where shows tell true (laughs) stories about things they never shared to dare. We're the editing team, and this is Kimbra behind us now. And our opening theme this week was a rockin' cover by the very nervous Neil Smith. Don't forget that you can submit your own alternative theme to us to feature on the podcast. Everything you need to know to do that is at risk-show.com slash music. We are calling this week's episode, Sweet Relief. These are stories about relief that is sweet. (laughs) In a little bit, we're gonna hear from Michelle Carlo. She's been on the show so many times that she deserves the keys to Kevin's apartment by now. Michelle told this story in September of 2012 in New York at the pit. But before that, we're going to hear a story from one of my personal heroes, David Crabb, the one and only who somehow manages to make everything he says hilarious and a story that will probably end up on risk. 
without further ado, here's David Crabb with a story that we call The Purge. Okay, y'all, I had a few other ideas for stories, but um, I know you're all probably waiting with bated breath to hear about my butt. So, a few years ago, I was, uh, I have Crohn's disease, like I said, um, so I have to go to the doctor a lot and get, get my guts looked at, and uh, I was seeing my GI, and they were doing, um, if any of you have ever had the pleasure of being at a super high-end uh, GI proctologist, there's a very special chair that you like lean over to then elevate. It's kind of like a mechanical bull, but your ass is like a water spigot. Uh, it's just kind of sticking in the air. On the day that I was there, there was also two training young doctors. So that was exciting. And... The doctor, uh, they have a terrible little scope thing. It's kind of like they're blowing bubbles, but in you. And uh, he looked at the scope and he said, uh, we need to get a few x-rays because there's something not right. They did the x-rays and then within 24 hours, he said, you need to have a colonoscopy much sooner than you usually have one because there's something that's not right here. That night, because I was super stressed, I did what I did. I watched a super violent horror film. Uh, this one was called The Strangers. Do you know it? Uh, Liv Tyler, Scott Foley. Yeah, a bunch of people in masks wordlessly break into a young couple's home and torture them to death. And that's what really centers me. Um, when I am stressed or anxious, I don't want any Hallmark shit. I just need, like, visceral violence. And I'm watching this with uh, my husband, Jack, and our little dog. And it's super stressful because I'm actually, I have not told him what has happened. I have just told him, oh, they moved some schedules around. They want me to go to colonoscopy. I didn't talk about a shadow or a scan. I just don't want to talk about it because then it's not real, you know. So a few days later, I have to go in for my colonoscopy. Now, y'all remember Hurricane Sandy? It hit the East Coast very hard a few years back. There was a lot of flooding and disaster. So the night before my colonoscopy, who's, by round of applause, who's had a colonoscopy? Who's, who's had the distinct pleasure? Yeah, we're getting up there, aren't we? You drink a jug of a horrid chemical, um, and you burp, and you fast, and you feel like you're burping spray paint. It's a very strange experience. You get dizzy. You can't eat at all the day before. You're very angry and tired the morning of. And going through this as, like, uh, you're in, like, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, in like right up against a red zone, like you might have to evacuate, so hold in that liquid abominable shit that you've been blasting every 20 minutes, please, in case you're going to die. So that's happening, and luckily we don't have to evacuate. It doesn't hit us as hard. The next morning, my husband Jack, he takes me to the uh, colonoscopy center. This is literally a center. It's a whole like arm of my GI's office in midtown of Manhattan. And we go in, and now the worst part of a colonoscopy is prepping. You starve yourself for 24 hours. You can't even have any liquid, even water, like for four or five hours before. You're angry, you're tired, you're depleted. Well, that morning we went into the room, and it was bustling. It was like the saddest club you've ever been in because everyone needs a partner for a colonoscopy, you could very easily, like, oh, it's a group of people, and there's a flesh-colored person, there's a gray person, there's a flesh-colored person, there's, it looked like the waiting room in Beetlejuice, uh, that's what it looked like, just, like, angry, tired people, and it was so bustling that, like, I couldn't even, like, I was like, Jack, what's going on? So Jack wouldn't ask, and because Hurricane Sandy had happened, some people had had their colonoscopies canceled the day before, 
And they were like, fuck you. I'm not giving up the slot. I'm not doing this again. I'm starving and drinking water for another 24 hours. Fuck you. So the level of rage and anger and exhaustion in the room from people that are like, I'm getting this camera up my ass. Come hell or high water. So we're waiting in the room and I'm sitting there and my husband's being so protective and sweet. He's this is the first time at the rodeo. I've had Crohn's for years. He knows, but he's getting angry. He's getting, he's going to me. He's like, what's going on? What's going on? It's been so long. It's like hours later than I'm supposed to go. No water. I'm like 10 to 11 hours, no water. And finally, this woman comes and gets me. I kiss Jack goodbye. And she takes me to the office and I'm like changing clothes. And she's like a fun, wonderful, very friendly nurse who's like making conversation, but very clearly tired and overworked. And at one point she's like, you know, honey, you're going to want to take everything off and put on the gown. And I look at her and I always remember, I was like, should I take off my socks? And she's like, I don't care. He ain't looking at your feet. And like walked out of the room. Funniest. I love you, Kelly. So then... I have the thing on, then I, you know, they put me on my, on the gurney, and then they wheel me into the room, and when, the first thing I see is the anesthesiologist, and I'd never seen him before, he was a super tall, like, seven foot tall Indian man, and he was very, he looked like a Bond villain, he was sneering at me when he came in the room, and he has all this stuff, and they wheel the thing over, and I'm, like, laying there, and, you know, he ports me very quickly, and I'm a jovial conversation type person, like, I think I annoy cashiers and baristas at this point, being like, just fucking let me make your fucking cortado go fuck off. I'm like, where are you from? I love your hat. Like, and that's how I am with this anesthesiologist. And he's just not into it. He is almost socially like, I feel like he's moving around me, like not trying to make eye contact. And he ports me. And I can tell at one point, I think I'm talking his head off too much and I'm delirious and I'm gray. So I think he's so, he's just like, I'm going to get as much work done as possible because this guy won't shut the fuck up. So he puts the little port with the jammer of, it's, it's like a white liquid. It's Milk. It's the delicious drug that sends you, like, it shoots like a thousand fairies through your bloodstream for four seconds. Makes it almost worth it the night before. And he ports me, but the plunger is resting, and he says, you need to rest your arm on the rail like this. So he rests me, and the plunger is there, and, like, if I move an inch, I could possibly, like, fill myself with, uh, what is it called? The delicious drug? Fentanyl? Yes. Propofol. That's it. That's it. So I'm like resting and he's trying not to talk to me. He's basically just moving around the room and I'm like, how much longer? I'm in there with him for an hour. He's looking at things on the computer and just like not making conversation with me. And finally the doctor comes in. You can tell he's so stressed. He runs to the computer. He's like, Mr. Crab, I'm so sorry. Um, I hope you're ready. And as he's talking, the anesthesiologist makes his $14,000. He comes over and he plunges the thing. And right as he plunges, the doctor looks at me, and he's like, um, is there anything else? And right as he asked me, I realized that I got so confused by leaving my socks on that I left my underwear on, too, so I'm on my side, but I have my underwear on. And I say, yes, doctor, there is. And right as he comes up to me, it hits, like all the angels in my blood. And he said, what is it, Mr. Crab? And I just say, I'm fading away. I became like this shrinking violet from like a Tennessee Williams. Like, oh no. I said, I'm fading away. Blackout. So I wake up a bit later. And if you've ever been in one of these colonoscopy centers, it's kind of like waking up. Do y'all remember Robin Cook? He wrote all those like scary 80s, like medical horror books. You wake up and there's curtains on either side. And you know that on the other side of that curtain, there's another you waking up and a curtain and another you and so on and so forth. So when you wake up, there's the slight sound of like, uh, 
just little farts and burps and toots, but it's all very disembodied. It's like a gaseous new age CD. Um, and you're kind of like, oh, coming to, and like, I'm a very weepy person when I come out of anesthesia. Like, I'm very much, if they were like, if someone walked up and was like, fuck you, I'd be like, fuck me. Like, I'm very sad, and I take everything to heart when I wake up from anesthesia. So I wake up, I'm coming to, and this very twinky little nurse comes by, and he's like, hello, Mr. Crab. And then he looks down, he goes, oh, like that. And I look down. And you remember those American Apparel underwear that look like superhero undies for grown men? They were like bright red with the white ribbing. Those are bound around my ankles. It looks as if like I have my ankles are tied with little superhero undies. Because I guess the doctor got under there and was like, oh, yeah, okay. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And the nurse is repulsed by it. It's like, it's so weird. He's like, oh, no. So I'm like trying to sit up, but I'm still spinning. I'm trying to reach my panties to pull them up my legs. And I always remember the nurse, he had a pencil behind his ear. He took it out. And then using the eraser, he leaned forward and he's trying to poke my panties in the eraser. And we're trying to meet each other halfway like he's like oh like dragging the American underwear up my calves as I try to reach them it was so weird I don't know why he was so afraid of me and I finally pulled them up and then you know he gave me like a juice box and Oreo cookies they want you out of there they just want to sugar you up and send you on your way I got out of there and I remember I walked out and the minute I saw Jack, my husband, he just started laughing at me and I was like, what? And he got me in the elevator and when the doors closed, it was like a very mirrored door. I had eaten so many Oreos (laughs) that my teeth were all gray and black and I just had like crumbs in my beard. And I remember I laughed all the way home in the car and it was about halfway home and I thought, I hope I don't have a malignant cyst. Like I'd kind of forgotten about that part. And later that night, we're curled up on the couch, and I'm thinking, this fucking sucks. This is the worst. And the phone rings. The beep goes off that I got a message because I missed the call. And when I check it, it's my doctor saying, hey, we did the scans. It's totally benign. You're fine. There's nothing wrong. You're so in the clear. And I burst into tears. And Jack looks at me, and he's like, what's wrong? And I just say to him, totally out of context, still fucked up, I don't have cancer. And he's like, did you think you did? And I sat on the couch and I told him what had happened. And then we just held each other as I watched um, a millionaire's have her head repeatedly bashed into a glass coffee table because we were watching that feel-good movie, The Purge. (laughs) And I just watched that holding my husband thinking like, life is really good. Thanks, y'all. broadcast system announcing the commencement of the annual purge sanctioned by the U.S. government. He's got five pounds of undigested red meat in his bowels. He needs to empty his bowels immediately, Jess. And his bowels release all over the goddamn scene. I'm in perfect health and I'm convinced I will live forever because my bowels are immaculate. Blessed be our new founding fathers and America, a nation reborn. May God be with you all.
been the kind of person who thinks no means find another way. When I was 19 and I really wanted to go to the School of Visual Arts, it took me two years, but I got in at the age where most people graduate. I decided to become a performer when I was 35, the age where most people give it up. So when 10 years later, my husband told me that he no longer wanted to be married, I was sure I could change his mind. I mean, after all, hadn't we spent nearly 14 years living and creating art together? But this time, no really meant no. There were days afterwards where I'd come to at work and not remember waking up or getting dressed or taking the subway ride. There were nights that I would just sit alone on my kitchen floor and just howl. And then a friend said to me, the master of online dating, said, Michelle, come on, why be alone? Just sign up for OkCupid. <laughs> now, there were three things that you should know about me. One is that I've walked into subway tunnels to write graffiti. I've hosted many a rowdy burlesque show, and I've stood on stage and told a story in front of 750 people, but I did not have either the stomach or the cojones for online dating. I mean, come on, what happened to just getting trashed and taking someone home? <laughs> But I had to admit that the last time I had done that was in 1990, and I married him. And then there seemed to be this other conspiracy out against me. Every time I opened up a magazine or went online, I saw yet another article about the invisible woman. And that all it did was tell me that how now that I was a woman of a certain age, how the bloom was now off my rose and the rot had now begun. And then if I didn't have a partner by now, I better just give it up because I was more likely to be struck by lightning than by love at first, last, or any sight. And so I accepted that I was in a new phase of my life, one that I called manopause. <laughs> and for something to do, I joined a writing group because there was no one around anymore to tell me what I could or couldn't do, that I could or couldn't write a book. So I did. And when I found out, soon after I found out that this book was actually going to be published, I took a walk in Prospect Park, and I passed by one of the traffic circles where there was this little grove of magnolia trees. And it was one of those early spring days where you could just see all the fuzzy little hairs on the little green buds just quivering under the pressure of those creamy pink flowers, just waiting for just the right moment to burst out naked and free into the breeze. And I just stood there with the sap and the fragrance just got to me. And I yelled back at those trees and I said, I know how you feel. I want to be pollinated. <laughs> But of course, it had been over a year and a half since, as the Old Testament puts it, I last knew a man. <laughs> and I had actually become okay with the fact 
that I was more likely to be mauled by a tiger than by another partner. But then, the unthinkable, the unimaginable, the unexpected and the unbelievable and the unlikely thing happened. One night, a redhead walked into a bar and four hours later, walked out. And not alone. <laughs> the next morning, I woke up with a man in my bed. And then I remembered his name was Larry. Ew, Larry. Oh God, the worst name in the world. How the hell could I sleep with a guy named Larry? Oh. And then I had to walk him to the R train because he didn't know his way around my part of Brooklyn. And he kept trying to hold my hand and I kept like not letting him because all I could think was that, oh, this is just a one night stand, just forget it. No, 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 you walk there and I'll walk here. And as he's whistling, as he's going down the steps to the subway and he's like, I'll call you. And I was thinking, yeah, right. I mean, hadn't I just broken every rule in every dating book known from grandma's age to now? And like, how old were we? But he did call. And on our next date, I caught him sneaking one of those violet candies into his mouth before he kissed me. And that's when I realized, oh man, he's nervous too. But I still wouldn't accept it. And I, after each date, I would just keep Telling myself, oh, it's, it's just going to last a day, a week, a month, and then three months. Because I just couldn't admit to myself that this was something that was really happening. But then the longer I got to know him, the more I got to know that he had been married before too. And he had grown children. And he had been an artist, but then he gave it up to raise his family. But now that he was divorced, he was trying to get back to it. And the longer I knew him, the more I realized that he and I were at the exact same place in our life. Only he had taken a different path. It's three years and five months for us today. Yes, today, the 27th. I know. And so just at the point of my life where I'm supposed to be settled and content with things that I did and that my life is almost over. No, it's not over. <laughs> it's just begun. Really, again. And maybe, maybe I was just like those magnolia blossoms waiting for the right breeze to come out. Or maybe I'm just the kind of person who thinks no means find another way. Thank you. Birds flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me, yeah, it's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me. Ooh, 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 ooh. And I'm feeling good. Fish in the sea, you know how I feel. River running free, you know how I feel Blossom on the tree, you know how I feel It's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life 
This is Risk. This is Nina Simone behind us now, and we just heard from Michelle Carlo. And Michelle is now celebrating 14 years together with Larry. That story was edited by Mr. Taj Easton. Now, Michelle wrote a fantastic book called Fish Out of Agua, My Life on Neither Side of the Subway Tracks. And she's also got a story in the Risk book. You can find more about Michelle at michellecarlo.com. And before that, we heard from David Crabb, who told that story while hosting the Risk Live show in L.A. at the Hotel Cafe. By the way, there was a show last night that was probably wonderful. (laughs) 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 And there is another show coming up on May 15th. If you've never been to a live show, you are definitely missing out. They are so much fun, and there's so much going on that you really don't get from listening to the podcast. You know, like that live show smell. A feeling of real connection with the storytellers, and maybe even the chance to meet the real-life version of Kevin. Or David Crabb at the L.A. shows. So hop in your car, book your flight, or take a boat any way you want to do it. Come on down to the rodeo. We'll be right back. Hey team, can you imagine how awful it would be if we didn't have the support of Patreon patrons and we lost all our jobs and like we didn't even have a pot that we could piss in? And not even one to share between the four of us. Like even if we could afford just one, there'd be privacy issues and paper shortage and so much splashing. Yes, (laughs) there was so much bonus content there available to patrons that you'd be entertained for literal decades. You can hear fantastic content on Patreon, including a new story with a hilarious David Figler Esquire. Here's a little bit of what that sounds like. The paramedics eventually come out and they go, we're sorry, your 90-year-old father is, is gone. After like an hour and change, they finally call my name. And in the midst of all these doctors and nurses sort of gathered around this one bed, I see my dad. Awake, aware, upright, with his eyes open. Mm, Yes, you're going to want to hear this one, patrons. Go check it out. It's already available. Also, there is a really funny interview that we all did with Wanda Bowser, and that was everyone on the editing team. And she interviewed us to ask us all about our favorite stories that we've edited and some of our favorite memories from Risk. So there's that and lots of other perks of joining our Patreon, like getting the ad-free versions of episodes early and access to lots of exclusive content. We are so grateful for your support. Seriously, seriously grateful, people. Thank you. Thank you all for your support. (laughs) Yes! That's all at patreon.com slash risk. Next week, Kevin will be back. For real, the real-life, non-robotic, human-being, fleshy version of Kevin. Until then, remember, folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Stars, when you shine, you know how I feel. Send out the pine, you know how I feel. It's a new day, it's a 
John says of risk. Jeff says you'll hear. And Hope says David Crab because I already had that whole line. But I think uh, someone else should say break up Crab, though. It's, it's going to be a little more funny to have someone else okay, do Crab. Okay, then I'll say David and Hope will say Crab. Yeah. We got it. I say David. You say Crab. David, Crab, <laughs> David, Crab. <laughs> <laughs>